Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you the same. We got a great episode here today because it's like truly time to lock in on the NFL draft. It's been this thing like hanging in front of us for a while. We've been talking about it throughout the entire college football season, in part throughout the NFL season with the tank for Trevor stuff, and now. A bunch of quarterbacks changing, or not changing recently, but have changed from what we expected. There's a lot going on, and it's officially here. It's a week away from when this podcast is being released. So let's bring in our co-host, our guest for today. First and foremost, my guest here has been on the podcast before. He has hosted a podcast called I Love College Football Podcast. You may have heard him on WFAN rocking behind the glass for Boomer and Geo around the holidays. Ed Arzuman, my buddy. What's going on, brother? Yo, Pete, what it do, my man? It's uh, it's nice to be back here, bro. It's been a little while, but uh, we're back in the groove. I'm hyped to talk a little NFL draft, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You are uh, a big college football guy. You know what you know what it's all about. You know all the players. And that's why when I was like, all right, who am I going to talk to this year for the draft? And I was like, I got to hit up Zoo. Like, he... You just know what's good. You care about the sport. You know the players. So it was the perfect synergy there. Uh, and I don't even know, dude, when was it when you were on? Was that like two years ago when we did an episode together? Like time doesn't feel real anymore, so I really don't even know. Yo, I think the last time that we did an episode together was right after the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. From no Dallas, way. If I remember correctly. Oh my God, that does sound right. I'm pretty sure I was living at my parents at the time. So I'm two apartments since then. <laughs> Odell oh, Beckham surprisingly only one team since then. So that's crazy. Hey, good for him, but man, good for you too. But you know what, dude? That's that's been a it's been a little bit too long of a time, man. It's been, I feel a little uh feel a little slighted, man. Not gonna oh lie. no. I know, yo. Well shit. Now I feel now I feel bad. But no, uh I think that just means that we have to make this happen more often from this point forward. Uh oh, not yeah. just draft or big football stuff, more regularly talking the biz. Hey bro, I'm here. Whenever uh whenever you need me, man, if we make it work, we make it work, bro. But uh yo, NFL draft today, man. I'm 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 hyped as anything for this, bro. And uh like you said, man, college football, that's that's the second life for me, bro. Watching Getting the four TVs going on a Saturday, man. Oh, I've yeah. seen a lot, of, a lot of these guys play. So I'm, re- I'm ready to get into it, man. I'm ready to get into it. Let's, let's go. Let's do it. Also with us, my guy, Mike Bonfield. What's up, brother? What's going on? Happy to be here, fellas. Ready to talk some college football, some NFL draft, some topics to cover going forward. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And uh, I think there's really only one place to start, right? So – We've known about Trevor Lawrence for, for, what, three years now. We've known he's going to be the first pick in the draft. He's actually probably gotten even less pushback than I thought. I, I You know, even when somebody like Trevor Lawrence is there, there's always going to be somebody somewhere trying to uh, 
pick holes in, you know, whether it be their, their physical skills, their mental skills. You know, there was the little thing about him not loving football. He, he said something like, oh, I don't really need football or whatever he said. I kind of don't really care that much. We'll, we'll get into it if we, if we should care or not. But after Trevor Lawrence, this draft gets extraordinarily interesting. Now, it is pretty much thought across the board that the Jets are going to go at Zach Wilson. And a lot of people think Mac Jones will be three to the 49ers. With all that being said, we've had drafts where there were, quote, surefire prospects ranked in an order for a reason. And a lot of those times, that's not exactly how it ends up. So, Ed, I think it would be uh, you know, malpractice if we didn't start this conversation on the quarterback front. So to give just a quick roundup, we have obviously Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, as I just mentioned. We also have Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and then I guess the, the people who kind of come in next, maybe you could help me out here. Would it be Mond and then... Kyle Trask and maybe Davis Mills are those the only other quarterbacks that matter or do you even care about those guys I mean here's the thing and I uh you can check the tape on this man I love Trevor Lawrence and I think the world of Trevor Lawrence I think he's going to be a great quarterback in the NFL uh I don't know how I don't know if Jacksonville is going to get off to a great start with him I, I don't know about Urban Meyer but that's a whole nother conversation to have and one that we'll probably have at the end of this season. But for right now, Trevor Lawrence, number one pick, that's a lock, and that should be a lock. I I just I believe in Trevor Lawrence, the skill he has, the way that he's just been able to get better game after game, week after week, pretty much for his entire career. It's just it's incredible to have watched and – I can't see it slowing down right now. So the trajectory for him, in my opinion, is like about as good as it can get. Maybe all pro and maybe MVP Super Bowl type of level. Mm. And the only reason I say maybe is because it's Jacksonville. And we all know the Jags, they're not exactly the team you would trust there. So Trevor Lawrence is that guy. Zach Wilson obviously is a dude. Justin Fields is a dude. Lance and Mac are both uh, solid QBs in their own right. I think Mac Jones is suffering a little bit from a little overrating. Mm. I can get into that a little bit more down the road. Yeah, we'll get there in a minute. Yeah, but Davis Mills, I'm not huge on him. Jamie Newman, he could be a good prospect out of Georgia. He didn't play for Georgia. He played at Wake Forest. He transferred into Georgia this year. He decided to sit out with all the COVID and everything. He's a pretty good quarterback. I don't know. If I would take him that high, he does have a lot of upside. But again, you haven't seen him play in a year. And Kellamond, to me, I just, I don't know if he's going to be able to take the hits game in and game out in the NFL through a full season to be a starting quarterback. I think he's got the potential to be a good backup and, you know, guy who could come in and give you spot starts and under the right tutelage maybe in like two or three years he could start for you. But, you know, outside of that, Newman, Trask, Mills, they're just, they're guys who you could bring in and they'll they'll help you out in the future as backups, but you shouldn't expect them to be a starting QB. Perfect. So uh, the reason I bring it up is because the only person who I know who has really, and I don't want to say has given pushback because that's not right, but who has rated somebody else higher than Trevor Lawrence is Chris Sims. I don't know if you heard his takes and his, 
uh, input on the quarterback stuff here. So he actually ranked Zach Wilson above Trevor Lawrence. And if you're going to take that serious, he also had Mond ranked above Fields and Lance. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. That's the only reason I brought him up, though, just to make sure the names are floating out there and we're thinking about them. But I'm kind of with you that they're afterthoughts for a reason. Um, so let's go Let's go back to the top here, and let's talk about Trevor Lawrence. Are you, are you shocked like I am that there's been as little pushback on him? Obviously, it sounds like your confidence in him is high enough to where you don't believe there should be pushback. But that being said, like it seems like no matter who is coming to the draft, like the longer you're in that number one pick spotlight, the more hate you're going to get. So he hasn't really gotten it yet, right? He hasn't really gotten it at all. Do you think it's going to turn at, at, on him at some point in Jacksonville? Or do you think he's a like, likable enough guy who's done enough at the college level where people don't even know how to pick holes in him? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting uh, interesting take you got there and comment as well. Um, the thing with Trevor Lawrence, and I do, you did mention this earlier about his questions about character in terms of winning and being able to go the extra miles based on the Sports Illustrated article. Um, and I mean, that's definitely questions that should be risen from that. But outside of that, I mean, he's a big dude. He's strong. He's quick. He slings the ball with little effort. And it's just, he puts it in places that are ridiculous to think of from some of the positions that he throws from. Uh, I, I get where Chris Sims comes from in terms of ranking Zach Wilson higher than him. Uh, Zach Wilson has a really incredible skill set. And he can throw the ball about as good as anybody right now on the run coming out in this draft, if not better than everyone. And he's a little bit quicker than Trevor, but I, I just tend to like Trevor Lawrence a lot better. I just think his upside is the biggest of anybody in this draft. Um, like I said, I, there are going to be question marks with Urban Meyer, and I think that could maybe hurt jacksonville these first couple of years or you know the first two three years of trevor lawrence but i think he'll still have good seasons i just think that team might not be too successful and when that happens people will have questions about the qb but i i don't see any real questions coming up about him for at least a little while once he starts playing because he he proves it on the field every time he goes out there. Every time you have a question about him, he proves it. He has a he has a good game or a great game or a historic game. And I mean, I'm gonna take Trevor Lawrence in this draft ten times out of ten at number one. So I just that's that's the way I look at it. He's, yeah. Has he ever even had a ba- like a bad game? Like he's what had maybe one bad game in his career, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> is that yeah, right? I mean, he's had some. He's had some less than spectacular games. He's had a g- couple games with a couple interceptions, but I mean, not even a couple games. He's had like one or two. I honestly can't even remember a second one right now, but he's, he's just got it. I look at him and I see a quarterback that, you know, he can do everything you need him to do in the modern era of football. And he might he's not Patrick Mahomes, 
because Patrick Mahomes is a once in a generation player. And we definitely shouldn't be comparing every quarterback to Patrick Mahomes because that's raising the bar way too high. But Trevor Lawrence is going to be his own style of player. And that style of player is going to be a very high caliber NFL QB when it's all said and done. Absolutely. So I'm glad you kind of navigated that whole thing because it's fair and he is just incredible. He's been incredible in front of our face for three years, like I mentioned. But the point that you mentioned and started to allude to, which I think is incredibly important that that we're going to touch on throughout the rest of this podcast is that you think the pushback maybe could come in the future because of the team that he's going to. And that's where this conversation to me, when it talk when you talk about quarterbacks gets really difficult because there is absolutely a path for every of the top five quarterbacks, Lawrence Wilson, uh, fields, Lance and Jones. There's a path for all of those dudes to be really successful at the league. Like for example, I think any one of those dudes with Kyle Shanahan and San Francisco find success, right? So does that make my opinion on Justin Fields being better than Mac Jones valid when Mac Jones goes to Shanahan and uh, Fields is in Atlanta and they're still a train wreck? You know what I mean? So it gets really complicated when you're talking about success, and that's why it, it is really hard to do this and predict what's going to happen. Uh, for, for our history, for pretty much our entire lifetime, None of these quarterbacks have gone to the Jets and found success, but that's where we find ourselves right now. And I'm going to lead off this take on Zach Wilson on the Zach Wilson front, even though I'll let you have the floor with what you think the Jets should do after that. I've been watching the Zach, the Zach Wilson stuff I can find on YouTube, all the game highlights, all the, all the throws, you know, every throw from every game I can watch. And his, his arm is a smoother than Trevor Lawrence's. His release is quicker and smoother in my opinion. And uh, I think it might be a bit stronger, too. And uh, you did mention that, so I don't think you disagree with that sentiment. But does that make you feel good as a Jets fan? I, You know what, Pete? I really I like Zach Wilson a lot. I've, I've liked him since about midway through this season. I started to get on board with the train. Um, I didn't expect him to actually beat. Justin Fields out kind of to get to be that number two pick, but here we are. And I'm pretty happy as a jet fan that Zach Wilson is going to be the QB leading my team going into the future, because I think he'll fit with LaFleur, Mike LaFleur coming in with the jets and that 49er Kyle Shanahan style offense. I think that's something that'll be good for him. Hopefully like we have the same questions with Trevor Lawrence that we're going to have with, uh, with Zach, uh, you know, Zach Wilson here. And that's just going to come down to who is around him. What's this offensive line looking like? Like, are we going to have to have Zach Wilson throwing the ball on the run all the time, the same way that, you know, Sam Darnold was, and that hurt Sam Darnold's development. You can't let that happen with Zach Wilson. If you're the jets, because then you're going to get into bad situations continuously down the road with developing quarterbacks because you have a chance to right the wrongs that you've done before with Sam Darnold, but you can also really just dig yourself a bigger hole here with Zach Wilson, and the kid's got all the potential. You just need to cultivate it, and he's the right guy for this offense. It could be a really good fit for the Jets. Zach Wilson, like you said, strong arm. I don't disagree. I just don't think he's – 
quite as as I don't think he has the same ceiling that Trevor Lawrence has, but I think he definitely has the same floor, if mm. that makes sense. That's a really good way to look at it. My question to you is what would you say when somebody brings up the point, oh, he's only had one real season and he was playing at BYU with the competition not being that great? What what do you say to that side of the argument? It's a good argument. Um, it's typically one that I would make. Um and it's it's one that's hard not to argue with, and it's kind of part of the reasoning as to why I think Trevor Lawrence has that ceiling that's slightly higher than his. But, I mean, you can't really look at that too much anymore. Um, there are guys that have come up by only playing one season in mediocre programs, and they haven't really had great years, but they go into the league and they develop into – decent players, you know, decent quarterbacks, and they don't have the talent level that Zach Wilson has. Zach Wilson has the talent, and you can see it regardless of who he's playing against. Now, there are certain things that you're going to need to, coaching-wise, get him to do, but that's why it's important to have a good coaching staff around him and develop him with the right people because when you have the right people around, the mistakes that he might have will go away you know playing a better def you're going to be playing a way better defense in the nfl but if you have good receivers and a good offensive line you're not going to be running every time and just slinging the ball downfield where it's going to get picked you know 50 percent of the time because you're kind of just trying to get away you're trying to get it trying to throw it away and you know you're not really not really looking where you're going with it because you're still young you're still trying to figure things out so I think that those are issues he could run into by not having a lot of college playing time and not playing against a lot of high level competition. But I, as a Jet fan, and I could be naive, but I'm a Jet fan and I have hope. So I kind of feel like this coaching staff is going to take care of him and they're going to nurture him the right way in order to get him to his full potential. Zoo, while we're on the uh, while we're on the topic of quarterbacks here, let me ask you: the 49ers, you were talking about that Kyle Shanahan offense, trade up to presumably take a quarterback, um, even though Jimmy G is still on the roster. Um, who do we think they should take, and who do we think they're going to take between Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, or other? I guess. Um, I mean, I've heard a lot of Mac Jones. And then I've also heard it's all smoke and they're going to go with fields, but I'm looking at some rankings and Lance is ranked ahead of both of those guys. So, so what do you think the Niners do with that pick? Mike, I got to be honest with you, brother. If they decide to go with somebody other than the three dudes you just named, I'm going to throw up all over the floor <laughs> because they have no reason to trade up. That, that would be uh, I don't know, man, that'd be a little crazy, but off the top rope, take Kyle Pitts. <laughs> hey, that wouldn't be a terrible pick there. Just, I mean, that's a lot to give up for a tight end. I know oh, facts. I was kidding. It's gonna be great. Let's not, let's not get that wrong. But I don't know if I would go that crazy for him. Trade up to three. Uh, but no, to your point, let's uh, let's get back on track with the QBs. Uh, there are going to be three really good prospects there, and I think all three of them would actually work very well 
in the Shanahan offense in different types of ways. Um, Mac Jones is a very accurate quarterback with a good arm, and he could definitely be someone who could develop into probably a Kirk Cousins type of QB, I would say, in that offense. And I think that's probably the way they're going to go when it's all said and done. I think Mac Jones is going to be their pick. Um, but Fields presents a lot of value. He's a lot more athletic than Mac Jones. I don't think that's uh, up for debate too much. Um, he's got a heck of an arm. He is very accurate, even though people, you know, some people make the case he's not. Uh, he is accurate if you watch him play all year long. And he's got a really, he's got a cannon. So he can hit that deep ball too if you just, continue to work with him that's something he could get very good at but if I was the Niners personally I would go with Trey Lance here because I just I think his upside is very high too and he's he's someone that you know is going to suffer from not playing this year but having watched you know a couple of his drives you know two two years ago and watching a ton of his highlights and trying to watch over a couple of games from his time at North Dakota State I think he's somebody that's just got a ton of potential. He's going to be overlooked, one, because he plays at North Dakota State, and two, because he didn't play this season. But he's he's got a lot to offer. He's got a nice arm. He's really athletic. He's got a good release. He's accurate. And I think in that Shanahan offense, out of the three, he would probably fit the best to what I think they're looking for going forward. I want to follow up on the Shanahan front here because it's so fascinating to me. Like I am fully on team Kyle Shanahan. I think he like, he does no wrong as an offensive guru as the play caller, whatever it may be. He's had great success with so many different quarterbacks, you know, all the way back to Robert Griffin, a little Kirk Cousins sprinkled in there. And then all of a sudden Matt Ryan's an MVP and he's calling plays for them. And then he's gotten a lot out of guys not named Jimmy G and kept this team afloat. But if you really look at what has happened since he joined San Francisco with Jimmy G's lack of being healthy, they're six and 10, four and 12. They had the sick 13 and three year when Jimmy G was healthy and he kind of had what he needed there at the, at the position. And last year with no health again, six and 10. So the results for Kyle Shanahan's offense in San Francisco aren't really there. And the reason is because the quarterback can't stay healthy. Also, you can probably argue Jimmy G, not that he held them back, but he didn't really push them forward as an offense where he's when he's healthy. So why is the thought process Mac Jones is all Kyle Shanahan needs and he can kind of get the job done from there? He can now, you know, play PlayStation. He could t- take his controller and do what he needs because Mac Jones is smart enough and knows what to do enough to to accomplish all the goals, right? Why is that the thought process and not Trey Lance has a better arm, better body, more athletic, uh, and then Kyle Shanahan takes him, brings him into a room, brainwashes him, teaches him the sport all over again, and all of a sudden now he's a Superman quarterback. Like, why Why do you think the thought process around the media is stuck on that Mac Jones thing? Oh, that's all Shanahan needs. When if he has more talent, wouldn't he be able to do even more? Like, that's where I'm kind of getting stuck. Uh, you know, it is, it is interesting. Your point there, Pete. Um, and I really 
don't have too much of an answer for you as to why the, you know, across the board, pretty much everybody is into Mac Jones going to San Fran and that being a home run. I don't see it that way. I kind of view it as Mac Jones goes to San Francisco. It's, it's not going to be an instant thing where they're still competing in the West. I think they're going to need a year, maybe two, because it's just going to be different for Mac Jones. It's going to be different not being at being in a program the caliber of Alabama and going up against schools where, I mean, they're great schools with a lot of very good talent. But, I mean, Alabama this year is putting a ton of dudes into the league. And that team is probably, when it's all said and done, going to rival, you know, the early 2000s Miami Hurricanes for guys that are now playing in the NFL or played in the NFL or got drafted. So it's kind of it's kind of hard for me to look at that as a quick fix for them. And I don't know why people do. And I get Trey Lance is definitely more of a developmental project in certain ways or can be looked at that because of the year off than Mac Jones is. But I just don't see how if you're Kyle Shanahan that you would not take Trey Lance here at number three. I mean, I can see it being Mac Jones, and I mean, just because of how many people are saying that's what it's probably going to be, that's how I'm kind of leaning, but if I'm Kyle Shanahan, man, you got to bring in Trey Lance. He just has a way higher ceiling, and you give him, in the second and third year of his contract, I think you're in a more Super Bowl-ready position than with Mac Jones, for sure. Yeah. I don't think that's up for debate. I I tend to agree. I'm I'm with you there, and that kind of brings us to the last guy here. You know, who, who you haven't mentioned, who's fallen on a lot of people's boards, and some people are, frankly, upset about it. Right? Like they're frankly, like, okay, he was the number two guy during the college football season. He ended the season on a high note, beating Trevor Lawrence, beating Clemson, and Justin Fields has done nothing but slide since then. So that's an that's something that people are like, what the hell's going on? But I would say, on the flip side, this happens all the time. It's not like the uh, evaluation of these quarterback ends when the season ends. In fact, it just begins, right? All these scouts are now going back and diving into the film. So is there a reason in your eyes why Justin Fields has fallen down, or at least in the in the chatter world, in the NFL draft chatter world, that he's fallen down? Um, you know, it's uh, it's actually really interesting, Pete. I was I was really interested as to why he was falling down and I was just kind of putting it on you know his value was dropping towards the end of the year he had the huge semifinal and then his performance in the national championship game wasn't exactly what people were looking for um that's kind of how I was leaning but today I was listening to the Pat McAfee show actually, and he brought up something that was breaking news at the time. And uh, I, I heard it and I was kind of shocked. And then I just kind of was like, Oh, okay. That's probably a different reason there. And I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Justin Fields, apparently when he was going through the process and talking to teams, he had told teams that, you know, he suffers from, epilepsy 
So no way. Really? I did not hear this. Yes. That's something that, and it's not new. It's not something that he just recently has started having uh, issues with. It's something that he's dealt with for his whole life. So he has, he has told teams that he manages it and, you know, he played with it through college and high school. So it's not something that has affected his game, but I think that possibly might've thrown up a couple of red flags as interesting as, as however you might take that to be, but he does say he's managing it. And a lot of doctors say that, or doctors say that he's going to be able to, uh, you know, at some point, not suffer from epilepsy anymore which is what has happened in his family as well apparently with other uh you know family members of his having suffered epilepsy when they were younger and then eventually not so that's crazy first things first i hope that he handles it as best he can it sounds like he is and honestly when he gets to the nfl he'll probably have the best medical attention on it that he possibly could so that's a win for him uh, that's amazing, but now, and <laughs> I'm not trying to be insensitive, but when you talk about a, somebody being able to handle the spotlight, like, and then epilepsy comes up, that's messed up. That's tough. Like, and that's not, that's also tough for like, and this, this doesn't sound silly, but like people on social media will be ripping him and like people will be like, that'll be something that it's not just a medical condition that can affect him. Obviously, like it's really scary. It's bad. I'm not trying to downplay any of that that is something that can actually affect the way people look at him as a player. That's kind of messed up. And again, I don't want to make a joke out of it, even though like the obvious joke is there. Like that's, that's pretty wild. I did not know that. Yeah, no. And I mean, it's a pretty, uh, pretty fresh story from everything I have been able to see. It seems like this is completely breaking news, but it, it is, it kind of throws you off a little bit because you go, wow, you know, you look at everything he has been able to accomplish in his college career and, you know, being a top quarterback recruit right behind Trevor Lawrence out of the same area in Georgia growing up. So, I mean, it's definitely not something that I would say has hindered him at all, but it's something that I guess if you're a team, you would want to look into more. And I guess, you know, a lot of teams are definitely going to, do their due diligence with this. And I yeah. mean, it, like you said, it sounds like he's got it all under control, but you know, that's, that's definitely something you're going to look into it, yeah. outside of that. Outside of that, I do have to say Justin Fields is going to be a top 10 pick in this draft for sure. And I'm not sure where he'll end up, but I kind of want to believe that it's going to be Atlanta. Mm. I, I think that that feels it feels right. It really does. Oh, real quick though, because it's so tough. I, I didn't know about this, so I'm kind of thinking about it all off the jump. It's so tough now as a team. It's like, damn, am I gonna like hold? A, you don't hold it against him, but you have to use it as part of your evaluation. If you think that could, like, if your team doctor is saying like, no, it's like kind of an issue, like it's gonna be tough on him. Like, that's unfortunate that it has to become a part of the evaluation, but it does become part of the evaluation. That's really tough. Uh, I do want to move past that though, because like you know, there's not much we're gonna, we're not doctors. We don't know how it works. <laughs> Clearly, yeah, my guy has made him. yeah, he's made hella plays in his career already in the biggest moments on the biggest stages. So he's he's he can do it. 
that's just a crazy piece of news I did not know about. Yeah, I'm seeing Ian Rappaport then had it today as well. Um, in regards to his actual talent, because I'm reading here on Twitter, people assuming, oh, he's dro- why is he dropping? Teams may have known about this for a little while, but they're, they're not going to go out and say it. Like, they can't. Exactly. It's kind of like you can't do that to the kid. You can't put that out for him. So if that mm-hmm. is the reason why he's dropping, that's kind of interesting. In regards to, like, his, you know, his mechanics or whatever it may be with his game, is there anything else that you do or don't like with Fields? I think his decision-making at times can be a little bit questionable. Um, but that's something that, you know, it's it really comes down to having a good coach when you have the talent. Justin Fields has the talent, and I know I've said this a lot today, and it sounds like a cop-out almost in a way, but it's true. Because the issue that I see with him the most is without a doubt his decision making in certain situations and it's it's really a lot of critical situations and especially towards the end of the year you saw with a lot of goal line opportunities in that northwestern game um and he just didn't he just threw it in the wrong place and i can't i can't stress it enough that if he goes to a team with a bad coaching situation it's not going to work out for him but if he goes to a place that can get him the right guy to just help him adapt to the NFL and the right team that's going to make sure that you know he's taken care of medically and every way else you can I think he could be a a version of like Russell Wilson with a little bit more speed. Well, that's well, what I could see for Ju- Justin Fields. You're if throwing gets, out the Russell Wilson comp. I mean, hey, you said you didn't want to compare people to Patrick Mahomes. Isn't that kind of like the next toughest comparison to make? I mean, it's it's it is in a way, but I watch him play, and the deep balls he throws, the way that he moves around, it's very Russell Wilson like. And I just, I think that the right coach can turn him into that kind of a player. Plus he has, he has size that Russell Wilson doesn't have. So that comes into play when you're talking about, you know, getting to that type of level as well. Cause Russell Wilson does what he does and he's, you know, not the biggest dude in town. So that's, that's a, that's a, a way bigger, you know, statement to Russell Wilson's actual overall talent than to say, you know, I think Fields could get to that level if that makes sense. Yeah, and Russell Wilson's got them tree trunks, bro. You know, we always talk about his height, right? He's a little bit short on the short end, but my guy's thick. <laughs> He's thick as hell, Russell Wilson. It's crazy. Uh, all right, so we have talked about now Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, and Justin Fields. And, and that leads us to this next part of the conversation, which we've hit on with, with each quarterback is where they go matters, right? Like think back to the Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, um, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson draft. If you ranked the teams in which they got drafted, it almost in exact order shows off like how good they've been, right? The Ravens were the best organization so far. Lamar Jackson, uh, has had the best career so far, even though Josh Allen had probably the best year. Um, whatever. No, Lamar had the better year probably, right? The year before that. But either, yeah. either way, 
I'd give the MVP year. You know? Yeah, the MVP year, even though Josh Allen's year last year was like outrageously good. So it, the Ravens were the best organization. Lamar's had the most success. The Bills have proven to be a really solid organization. Josh Allen has probably been the second most successful. The Cleveland Browns are stacked with talent, and they've done a lot of things right in the draft and in building that team. Baker Mayfield had the third most success. The Cardinals were a wreck. They you know, didn't even give Josh Rosen a real chance to do, to do well. He didn't do well. He went to Miami, had less of a chance to do well, didn't do well. He's gone. He's done the worst. Sam Darnold somewhere in between with the Jets not doing much for him either. So in this regard, uh, Ed, can you rank the quarterback teams right now for me? And I know I'm probably putting you on the spot right now, but I'll give you the team names to at least help you out for a second here. We have the Jaguars, obviously. The Jaguars, the Jets, the Niners, the Falcons, and then we'll throw in the Lions, Panthers, Broncos, and Patriots. Does that sound fair? I mean, should we keep the Patriots out because they don't even have a chance to get any of these guys? Or should we, you know, what do you think? Well, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that just yet. The Jets might be uh, trading themselves up. We don't know. We don't know where these guys end up landing, you know, so. Okay, so let's do that. So around at 10, I could see the Pats trading up there, but. Okay, so let's do it again real quick. Sorry. Um, Jacksonville, the Jets, the Niners, the Falcons, Lions, Panthers, Broncos, Patriots. Give me at least, give me maybe, uh, give me like a top five because that's more than five. All right, a top five. Let's go with number one off the bat. I will throw the Niners at one because I just think their talent level is where it needs to be as long as they're all healthy, obviously. And last year they were not. Uh, two, you gotta go with, gotta go with the Pats. I mean, they might not end up with a QB, but if they do, that's definitely going to be a pretty good situation. You know, they got a coaching staff that's been together for years up there with Belichick and McDaniels. They got an offensive system that obviously has been proven to work in the past. I just think they need the right guy to run it. If they can find a guy that they like and they get him, then that dude's going to be in for uh, a pretty interesting ride quite possibly. And unfortunately, as a Jeff fan, we might be too. Uh, three. Three, this is, this is a tough one because it's just it's, – it's hard to really say. I don't think the Panthers are going to take anyone. I would probably put them there if I felt more confident they were going to draft a QB this year. Um, but since I'm not going to stick them in that position, I'm probably going to have to put Denver there because I, I like what Denver has on offense, weapons-wise. Now their coaching staff might not be – they're not really that, you know, they're not great, but mm. we'll see. They I got mean, talent. I think the talent is the number one thing for a lot of these dudes to succeed. Coaching can be changed quickly if they see it doesn't work with the young guy. So that's uh, that's something that can happen. So I'll put Denver there in the three spot. Um, hmm. I mean, we can go. To, we can go to just a three there, honestly, because it's kind of like a big three at this point. Uh, yeah, so you, but you're, honestly, so you're ranking that, Jacksonville or right, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I'd probably put the jets at four in that situation because I just, 
I like the head coach. I like the coaching staff. They got money to use. I think they're going to still use it. I think Joe Douglas is going to make some moves at the at the draft. So I think when it's all said and done, I think the Jets will probably be the number four situation there. And the Panthers, the Panthers would be three, and you could kick the other two down to four and five. But I just don't think the Panthers are going to be taking a QB. So who you didn't have in that list is Jacksonville and Atlanta. Atlanta did bring in Arthur Smith, which a lot of people are touting as a nice move. Um, but unfortunately for Trevor Lawrence, it doesn't matter where, you know, Ed Arzuman thinks are the best places for quarterbacks to go. He's going to Jacksonville no matter what. Mike, what do you what do you think about this side of things? Not just about the prospects, but about the teams. How do you rank the places where they're going to go? Yeah, so uh, I agree with um, Zoo's top two. Uh, I think the 49ers are definitely looking like the most complete team um, that is in most need of only a quarterback, even though that's up for debate because they have Jimmy G. I believe they still have Mullins on the roster um, amongst other guys, uh, but they're the most complete team. They were a Super Bowl. Well, yeah, they, they went to the Super Bowl two seasons ago and last year played in a really tough NFC West. Um, and we're going into the season. We're favored as one of the top teams in the NFC, rightfully so coming off of a Super Bowl appearance. Um, and they they got hit with the injury bug last year early on and um, just became one of those seasons quickly in that tough division for San Fran. I think this year they're healthy. They could draft a quarterback to play behind Jimmy G and see where it goes from there. Um, and I think that's going to be their plan. But I definitely think that's the one spot. New England, if they trade into that the middle of the first round, maybe the 10th pick, uh, take a quarterback, we know the Bill Belichick system. We saw what he did with his his last quarterback, um, which turned out pretty well. Um, they made a pretty surprising move, in my opinion, by re-signing Cam in the offseason. I think a lot of people, um, not that he doesn't deserve this other chance, because they really didn't have a lot of people around him. His receiving core was sad last year. Um, but we'll see what he could do this year. I think New England, uh, I think Belichick has instilled the in the two spot. I think Atlanta hops into the three spot there. Um, I think you have an extremely talented young wide receiver in Calvin Ridley, who I might be a little biased. Uh, helped me uh, to a fantasy championship this year. I love, that but I dude. do. I think he's I think he's extremely talented, um, and he plays behind Julio. So you know you got a double Julio. Calvin is probably going to have a favorable matchup most of the time. Um, that accompanied just with, again, a team that has been to the Super Bowl within the past decade, um, has proven that they could do it before. I think they come in the three spot. And then that four or five, I think, is between Denver and the Jets. Um, I like what the Jets have done in their offseason moves. I think Joe Douglas has made some great decisions as the acting GM. Um, and I think the Jets are absolutely in a better spot than they have been the past few seasons. How much better is tough to say. Um, we'll see how Zach Wilson plays if they go with Zach Wilson in the draft. But uh, and then Denver, yeah, I mean Melvin Gordon's still the running back. I really, I think Drew Locke showed some signs of playing well um, and just couldn't stay on the field. Um, but they they could be good too. They have a really good defense. I like Denver's defense out there and playing at that altitude always gives them. So that's that's my top five. And if you talk weapons real quick too, 
I know, obviously, Atlanta probably pops to mind first with all their guys. Denver sneaky getting Cortland Sutton back. Who? Oh, my God. Speaking. Oh, Tim Patrick. There we go. Tim Patrick really came on as a strong wide receiver for Denver last year. KJ Hamler as now as a three guy. You know, he has burners. And like you said, Melvin Gordon as a running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield and do a lot of things. No offense. Noah Fant, oh man, talk to me. That guy started picking up the pace. And he's, you know, when we talk tight ends, which we're going to talk about tight ends in a minute when we get to the pass catchers in this draft, um, tight ends don't usually come in and have great success right away. It's really, really rare. So the fact that, like, TJ Hawkinson has had great success so far, Fant has had really, really good flashes with, like, some inconsistency but great success, and Evan Engram, for all the hate he gets for the drop passes, has had pretty good success to this point in his career. Kyle Pitts could be one of those guys. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Denver Sneaky might have some some weapons there. I think people forget about Cortland Sutton getting back from injury. Um, that's an interesting spot. Uh, Drew Locke, though, are you, are you in and out, Zoo? Are you in and out, in or out? So like if, you, if you're Denver right now, say you're John Elway, are you saying one more year for Drew Locke? Or if you have a chance, even though you're picking ninth or a uh, chance to trade up, are you going for a quarterback? What are you thinking? I'll keep it quick. Um, I am not going with Drew Locke. I'm telling Drew Locke, listen, man, I will bring you into camp. I will allow you to have a quote-unquote competition. Um, but, yeah, I am, I'm not letting Drew Locke not let me draft a quarterback. That's, that's just not going to happen. So you're saying Justin Fields keeps sliding and you're Denver. It's almost a no-brainer for you. Um, yeah, I mean, Justin Fields, I think, I don't know if he's going to be the guy who slides. I think that could be Mac Jones. And I think if Mac Jones is there, I would take him if I'm Denver. Um, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's the answer, but he's definitely better than Drew Locke, in my opinion. And if you get somebody better than Drew Locke out there, LA is going to be a good team. Vegas, we'll see what they end up doing. They're in a weird, weird situation. But if you're Denver, you've got a decent QB with that team right now, and I think Mac Jones can be that guy. You know, you can be an eight-win team. I don't see why that – I don't see that being out of the realm of possibility. The team that got no love in our rankings here is the Detroit Lions, man. And it's just like, God damn, they have Jared Goff, but they got rid of Galladay, or they didn't resign Galladay. Marvin Jones is gone too, right? Where did he end up? I forget. I can't think right off the top of my head, but yeah, they they are in such a bad place. I feel like Detroit. Um, Marvin Jones went to the Jags, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's big. Go get they her. Are, they got a couple decent receivers down there in Jacksonville. They don't have anybody who's the number one, and that kind of always scares me when you have a young QB but back on to Detroit man they I don't know if they're going to get a I don't know if they're going to draft a QB here man I think you're going to rock with golf for a couple years there in Detroit um it's just you kind of have to right yeah you got to build that team a little bit and I mean golf's not a terrible quarterback if you get the right guys around him you've seen that you can go to a Super Bowl with him so I think if you're Detroit, you're taking that into account right now and you're just trying to build a team because honestly, relevancy should be the goal for the Lions, just like it should be for the Jets and the Jaguars. That's perfect segue. You're doing my job for me. Zoo, that brings me to possibly now your favorite. Maybe it's you're gonna be your least favorite part. I'm not sure. But 
people listening to this podcast, obviously, you know, Subway Sports Talk, it's a New York-based, even though we talk national sports all the time, we have a New York basis. Most of the people who listen to this show are in the tri-state area. So let's talk New York Jets, baby. You're a Jets guy. You mentioned you like what Joey D's been doing. You like Robert Sala. It sounds like you're going Zach Wilson. Can you confirm for me first that that would be your pick? Maybe if it wouldn't be your pick, who would be? It sounds like maybe Trey Lance, but I'll let you answer that. And then after no. you answer the quarterback question for number two at the Jets, give me your overall thoughts on their offseason thus far and kind of, you know, some expectations or just things to look for moving forward. All right. First off, I'm taking Zach Wilson. Um, I probably would have thought about Justin Fields a couple of month, months ago, but I've been I've been in the Zach Wilson camp for probably since about mid-December. I'm going to keep going. I think he's going to be the uh, right choice there at number two. Uh, for the offseason as a whole, Listen, I think it was a little underwhelming for what we were hoping for as Jet fans, hoping for a new era, hoping for some big signings. Um, I mean, obviously, the Sala move is massive, so let's not underrate that. But I think overall, the offseason was kind of a letdown in terms of getting weapons and whatnot. But the guys that we did get are good players, and I think we're going to see that as the season goes on. I'm just interested to see what we do here in the draft. There's a lot that we can make happen. All right. So real quick, before we move on to the pass catchers who are the most, the second most interesting, you know, group of players in this draft. And that brings us to the giants. What else do you see the jets targeting in this draft in their other picks? Cause the jets got picks, man, the jets have opportunities to, to improve this roster and they need to obviously. So what are the other positions that you're targeting? Uh, if you're the jets, uh corner definitely corner um greg newsom out of northwestern with that second first round pick might be the guy uh 6-1 real good on ball defender outside corner exactly what this team needs i think he'd be a good fit um i personally would love love to see them take naji harris with that second first round pick, I don't oh, think yeah. they're going to. I would love to see it happen. And if he slips to the second round, to the second pick in the second round, which we have, then we absolutely have to take him there. But I wouldn't necessarily target a running back. I mean, there are some good ones. If you could get Javante Williams out of UNC with that with a third round pick, I would take him there. Um, I mean, obviously, ETN's a good player. I don't know if I would spend this, the second pick in the second round on him. He's a good player. I don't think there are going to be any receivers really worth drafting at that point. Maybe Terrace Marshall out of LSU. Um, I think a lot of receivers are going to go in that 10 to 20 range. So if we trade up, then we can target a receiver. But if not, then I don't see that happening. Yeah. Overall, offensive line is going to definitely be something they look for. Uh, I think as you get into the third fourth fifth round i think you're going to see a lot of offensive linemen taken by the jets kind of fill out a little bit of depth also there's a couple of guys who had injuries or medical questions in college that are going to be dropping into that third and fourth round range late second round range like wyatt davis uh you know 
a couple other guys. Uh, Trey, uh, I can't think right off the head out of Tennessee. I can't get his last name. There's a couple of really good players that you can grab there offensive line wise in the second and third in the second, third, and fourth round. And I think that's the way they're gonna go because this offensive line definitely needs to get beefed up, needs to get younger. And you need to find out if you can find some talent on there because guys you got right now probably aren't going to be the guys going forward. So while they might fill the gap needed at this time, I don't think they're gonna be doing so for the you know, fourth year of Zach Wilson's career. So it's time to find that guy, at least one or two of those guys in this draft. And yeah, it's a great point because as much as we love to talk about receivers and tight ends, as we saw with Sam Darnold, he was able to do stuff with Jamison Crowder or Robbie Anderson and non-game-breaking talent on the outside, right? He was able to do stuff. What he was not able to do stuff with is when he had no time and he was running for his damn life every freaking play, right? So, great point by you. Uh, I love Najee Harris. Like, as a dude, as a player, that guy is freaking awesome. He is an electric human being. If you've seen Najee Harris, you know, talk in a, in a press conference or, or whatever it may be, absolutely electric personality. I love that dude. Uh, whoever, Whatever team he goes to, I'm all in. I'm a Najee Harris guy through and through. Yeah, for sure, bro. And that's why that's why I'm all in on him, man. You just watch him play a little bit. You see every little thing that he does. He's he's the best running back in this draft. I think he can be a guy who leads the league in rushing, leads the league in all purpose yards. He's an Alvin. I mean, he's a stronger. It's crazy to say, but he's a little bit stronger than Alvin Kamara. I don't know if he's quite as good of a patch pass catcher as he is, but. Dude, he could be that exact kind of player who's a borderline MVP all pro year in and year out for sure. I'm I'm very, very much into Najee Harris. I'm a big fan of the uh the ringer. The ringer has their NFL draft guide and they have shades of Steven Jackson on there. And I think that's a good comp because Steven Jackson was like one of those dudes who is a big dude, ready to run you over, but had all those other things in his bag. Like if you've seen the Najee Harris Harris hurdle. You'll never have to question if that he's just some big, powerful runner. This guy's got uh-huh. athleticism oh, everywhere on his body. Like he's just he's sick. And if you haven't checked out that hurdle, go check it out. Right now. <laughs> yeah, did ask. Go check it out. Uh, on the Jets front, they got the second pick. Obviously, they got the twenty-third pick in the first round. In the second round, they got an early pick at thirty-four, and then their first third-round picks basically a late second. It's a sixty-six pick. Another one, number eighty-six. Then. One fourth rounder, two fifth rounders, and two sixth rounders. So many picks for the Jets to make. Who knows? Maybe they'll package some up, get more, get a little higher in there in the draft, and we'll see what they do. Uh, let's regroup here for a second before we move on to our second portion of today's podcast. Subway Sports Talk. Pete Kennedy here with Mike Bonfield, as he's been for the past couple of episodes, and he'll be here moving forward. Also, our guest for today, Ed Arzuman, at Zubeard77. I'll tell you to follow him, but... He actually doesn't really need us to tell you to follow him. I think you need to tell your followers to follow us, man. You, you know, you got a little got a little base over there. Hey, bro, you know, we uh, <laughs> we do what we do, man. You know, that's uh, <laughs> we go on the Twitter machine, and, hey, sometimes people respond. And, uh, you know, you guys got a cult following, though. I love it. I got my cult following, too, so we're just uh, crashing the cults here today. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Uh, good stuff. So let's move on to the next portion here. And I think it's the second most <clears throat> second most interesting part of this draft, as you know, and that's in regards to 
talking points. That's in regards to fans, right? If you're talking about building out a team, obviously offensive linemen, edge rushers, you know, cornerbacks, linebackers are all, if not more important, as important as pass catchers. But for the for the purpose of this conversation and being so interesting, we will talk about Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, Waddle Smith, etc., and the Giants, because all the the thoughts right now in regards to the Giants is that they're going to be looking at their receiver position, even though they just signed Galladay, and I know there'll be some thoughts on that. Um, so I, I guess let's not start super duper Giant centric. Let's start with the players themselves. So Zoo, I just mentioned all the guys. Is there one dude? And I'm putting Pitts in the conversation because I'm calling them pass catchers. I know he's a tight end technically. But this dude's an absolute game breaker, playmaking tight end, who will hopefully be a good blocker, can be a good blocker, but realistically, my guy's out here catching passes, right? So talk to me about the prospects. Is there one person above the rest on uh, the pass catcher front or two people above the rest? How, how do you rank them? Whatever, whatever you want to do with this portion here, the floor is yours, Ed. Uh, take it over. Uh, this is really interesting. Um it's not really interesting, actually, because it's pretty straightforward, but it's the same situation as I feel with Trevor Lawrence and everybody else in QBs. It's the same way I feel here with Kyle Pitts and pretty much everybody else, because Kyle Pitts has the athletic ability to be, and I mean, just the talent in general, to be. I don't want to go too crazy here, but you know, a top five tight end all time. <laughs> so go crazy, I mean, bro. Pretty, He's sick. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty zofty expectations, but I mean, that's the kind of ceiling I see for this guy. He's just that good. And if you watch him, if you even just watched one Florida game this season where he played, you would, you would realize that how good this guy is. And I get that he's a tight end, and like you said, you know, you're talking pass catchers. People think wide receivers. They're thinking Jamar Chase. They're thinking Devontae Smith, you know, Jalen Waddle in that top group. But, dude, Kyle Pitts is just about as good as it gets right now in this draft in terms of just playmaking, pass catching. I think he's going to develop into a really good blocker in the NFL. And, I can't say enough glowing things about this kid because he really he he's the best player in this draft that's not named Trevor Lawrence. There you go. That that's what I was looking for, Ed. Strong take out of you. I love it. And it's honestly, you said you're gonna go crazy and you're like, it's not that crazy. And I agree with you. It shouldn't be that crazy. I remember having this conversation on Twitter. You know, I was replying to some NFL draft people and just kind of feeling some things out and talking about you know, pass catchers, again, like talking about them as one, not a tight end versus a wide receiver. And I was just saying, if you're a team who needs, if you, if who needs playmaking, right. And you don't really care if it's a tight end or a wide receiver. I don't know how you rate anyone higher than Pitts. And, and Jamar chase is, is crazy good. Like he's awesome. Right. And it, like we saw what Justin Jefferson just did and people think Justin he's better than Justin Jefferson. So I'm, I'm with you. I think Pitts is the guy right there. And uh, I, I think he's kind of a can't-miss prospect. No matter where he goes in this draft, I think he'll find success. I think if the the Falcons take him at four, that makes sense, even though 
playmaking probably isn't what they need to improve on. You're still making your team better by getting that guy. Uh, so I'm with you. For sure. No. And there, if your team doesn't have Travis Kelsey or George Kittle starting at tight end right now, then you could draft Kyle Pitts and you're getting a significant upgrade over what you have. What I, what I laugh about, and this is just kind of funny for me in, in like in general with the draft process with pro days and we didn't really have a combine this year like that. So we didn't get all the combine stuff that we love to get. When somebody like Kyle Pitts steps up to the 40 yard uh, dash, right. And runs a four, four, does that even change anything for you? I feel like people are freaking out. It's like, wait, have you not seen him? Like, did we not know that he was insanely fast? Like, we saw him break away from defensive backs on the regular. Of course he's fast. Yeah. No, it's one thing. You know what, though, Pete? It is It is one thing to see somebody do it on the field. But then when you see the, the raw data of it, I think it just um, solidifies what you thought. And in the case of Kyle Pitts, it solidified how freakish of an athlete he is at the tight end position. And that, that I think took him from being a top 10 pick to being a top five pick. Um, I think just that simple, you know, uh, what is, what do they say? The underwear Olympics, you know, Mm -hmm. it was just a simple underwear Olympics for him that could get him to that level and because his talent is second to none. So when you realize his athlete, his athleticism is that high, I think it just makes everything seem a lot better. It's the same kind of thing with like DK Metcalf when he ran that incredible 40 in his, uh, you know, combine. It didn't make people go, oh, this guy's a good receiver, but it made people go, wow, this guy has that much more. You know, and he can he can be that dude immediately on the NFL level. So, in in recent years, and this is this isn't, I guess, the most on topic thing, but in recent years, we've heard the term like wide receiver university, quarterback university. Certain programs have become known for producing elite level players at certain positions. For example, LSU in recent times, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry. Now Justin Jefferson, um, Alabama, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, um, the list goes on and on. Do and this is for both of you guys. Do you think that that gets taken into account when players are on the draft board? Like, do you think in the draft room, coaches and staff members are looking and thinking about that? Like saying, like, all right, well. LSU's produced studs like we haven't even really talked about Devontae Smith as much as we've talked about Jamar Chase so far and Devontae Smith just put up like one of the craziest stats Mm -hmm. seasons as a receiver in college football history as far as I can tell like led the led the nation in almost every major receiving category which is insane on Alabama doing it against the best conference in college football um so do you think that that coaching staffs take that into account that a certain university, this guy went to this university. So maybe it's more likely that he'll produce more at an NFL. Like he's more NFL ready because he went to this university that's built this system for these players in these positions. That's a really good like analysis 
And I think it definitely plays in the team's minds in certain situations. Uh, the only times that I would say that something like that would possibly change would be in a situation where you see a coaching staff overhaul at a university, which you don't often see with these schools like Alabama or, I mean, and I guess you shouldn't, I shouldn't say often because if they lose, then a guy's going to get out. But, you know, Alabama's not typically changing their coaching staff. LSU has changed their coaching staff a couple of times, but they're typically... It made them better. <laughs> yeah, in a way, yeah. But they can, you know, it it changes how who's on the staff. So when you have a really good wide receiver coach and he's working under a certain head coach and then that head coach gets, gets fired, if that guy decides to leave, then in that situation, you might not look at the wide receivers in the same way because they're not getting that same type of coaching. Now that's not going to go for the guys who are, you know, elite receivers that are still there, but that guy that they got who was a developmental dude, who's pretty good. And you look at him, you probably shouldn't evaluate him the same way as you would a guy who played there four years earlier. If, if that can make sense. Yeah. I think that makes great sense because evaluation should be based off of a, a previous guy if, if that trend has started to die off a little bit. Absolutely. I think that makes great sense because you think about, uh, wait, what? I always confuse this. What is it, the Big 12 or the Big 10 that has stupid scoring numbers? The 12? Big 12, yeah, Big 12 quarterbacks for a long time had the bad stigma. Right. So the way that the game is just played often in that conference is no defense, you know, 54 to 48 scores on the regular. And if you're thinking about a receiver – from one of those schools, you know, Baylor comes to mind when they just have that super vertical offense where they're just ripping the ball downfield. Maybe statistics can be off-putting for some of those players, but if the, if the film matches the stats, then you feel that confidence. Uh, but I think it's a great question. You think even about Penn State has this thing, linebacker you. Their linebackers, even the ones who aren't studs, and, you know, uh, Micah Parsons will probably come into conversation at some point, maybe next week. They even their bad linebackers have carved out a place in this league, whether it be an awesome special teams guy, a great backup linebacker. So in that regard, you know, you do have that sense of confidence um, with the guys like Jamar Chase and now the Alabama guys. It totally, totally helps them that Jerry Judy comes in and finds success. Henry Ruggs comes in and makes plays like you look at Jalen Waddle now who didn't even play last most of last year because of the injury. And you're like, all right, well, <clears throat> if health's not a concern, I don't think we have any other concerns. So it's a great question. They're definitely thinking about it. And I think there is another point to that conversation is there are certain teams and coaches in the NFL who have certain relationships with certain coaches at the college level. And, and that helps. We always hear like Belichick will just take what Nick Saban says to the grave. And, and like, that's his guy. He trusts him. I mean, it's Nick Saban who doesn't trust him really, but you know, you, you get the point. And even uh, didn't Nick, uh, Bill Belichick like love Greg Schiano and Rutgers guys for a while? Maybe that one didn't go as well, but the point stands. <laughs> I got the McCordys out of it. Yes, true. Shout out to the McCordys. They're 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 freaking awesome. Um, so we think Kyle Pitts is is the lead guy. We think he's the best pass catcher. Is there one guy above uh, the rest out of those big three wide receivers in in Chase Smith and Waddle? If you asked me a year ago, I would say Jamar Chase, without a doubt. Um, 
now I've I've fallen in love with uh, Devontae Smith and what he does on the football field. Oh yeah, um, let's hear it. I I think there was a time period where I wanted the Jets to trade down possibly and take Devontae Smith. Um, so that's how highly I think of him. It's just that I don't think you take Devontae Smith at number two. But I I thought about it and. He has that wow speed. He has that wow breakaway speed. He can make physical catches. He's taken some big hits. He's a really good player, and I think his future is unbelievably bright. Um, And Jamar Chase, I mean, the guy's unbelievable. He deserves every bit of, of love that he has been getting for the last two years as being touted as the number one receiver in this draft. And I think he will go as the first receiver in this draft because he has the size, he has the speed. He's really good. He is really, really good. And like you said earlier, Justin Jefferson was the number two guy last year or two years ago to, to Jamar Chase. And that's just how good Jamal Chase is. So, I mean, I would, I'd really like to see him go to Cincinnati and be reunited with uh, Joe Burrow over there. Cause that'd be really fun. I think, I don't think the Bengals will go that way, but man, that, that would be really awesome. Cause I think that would be the perfect, perfect place for Jamal Chase to go. Yeah. You think about the Bengals and it's like, all right, do you go and make the reunion and, give Joe Burrow a weapon or do you try to protect him and go Panay Sewell or whatever offensive lineman you might have ranked number one? That's the, the never ending debate, right? Do you bolster the playmakers or do you make the playmakers who are already there lives easier? Right. And I think one thing about the Bengals and this is a quick tangent here. They've actually had pretty good success finding receivers. Obviously AJ green was a stud and everyone knew it, but like a guy like Tyler Boyd, has turned into an awesome player. They always kind of have dudes who, you know, from like a fantasy perspective, like, oh, these guys, you know, solid hands. Like, they're not making a lot of mistakes. They had they had freaking Auden Tate, like, making an impact in, in the league at some point in time. Like, the Bengals have done a decent job on the receiver front. So, yeah, I'm with you. It would be so cool to have Chase there, but it seems like the offensive line is the direction for them. Uh, Devontae Smith, though, Zoo, I didn't know that you had this love for him, and I get it, and, like... Oh, yeah. Cause he's, he's freaking talented and all this stuff, but there's the obvious weight concern. You know, he's six, one listed a buck 75 right now. He's a smart dude. He is. That's one of the things people talk about him the most that he understands the game, like a quarterback almost, right? Like he knows the offense better than anyone. The story that circulated about him is when they put him at like defensive back one time, for some reason, he knew the whole defense already. He knew it better than some of the defensive backs that goes to show about his smarts and whatnot, but the physicality stuff is the question. I think a guy so smart hears all this and knows about it and says, I got to work on it. So I'm expecting Devontae Smith to put on some pounds to get into that that weightlifting program in the NFL and start eating like a madman. So is it a worry for you? If so, like rank that worry or weight that worry. You know, what percentage of worry or one to 10, what's your concern level on the physicality stuff for Smith? The only worry that you have is that you're drafting him so high. Um, his talent is there. It's just that 
you know, if he if he ends up, you know, if injuries are something that plagues him, that's just an unfortunate thing that it, you look back and you go, damn, you know, you'll look back on that pick and just be like, ah, what could have been? But I don't really think that's going to be something that plays into it with him. It could be early on in his career, like this first season, maybe maybe into the second season. But like you said, a team's going to get him into their facility, and he's going to be working out and eating crazy in order to get himself to probably – he'll probably get maybe to 195. And if he can get there, I think that would probably be a really good weight for him to play at. It would be probably comfortable. And honestly, you spoke a lot to what he does, you know, with his football IQ and how that helps him play the game. If he gets himself hooked up with the right QB, he could be the type of player that, like, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are for Patrick Mahomes in the way that if you watch the Chiefs play, and this was a lot more prevalent, or maybe not more, a lot more prevalent, but it was spoken about a lot more this year about how on the same page Patrick Mahomes and his receivers are just actually in showing it. And that's the kind of thing that I think Devontae Smith is going to bring to the table when he fully gets into the NFL game, you know, in a season or two and has been able to work with the quarterback. And if it's the right guy, I mean, like I said, man, Devon, the, ceil- the ceiling could be it for Devontae Smith. Like, there's a lot of guys in this draft that have humongous potential, but they could also just be good players. And I think he, while he's one of them, I think he's going to be a very, very good player. But that ceiling is there for him to be great. When you watch him, to me at least, or when I watch him, I should say, it's the decisiveness with the routes and just the confidence to find the spot he needs to get to. Now, obviously, the plays that make the highlights the most are when he runs past everybody and just goes for a 60-yard touchdown. Obviously, those are incredible and those are important. At the next level, being able to turn the defense on their head and they don't even know what hit them is something that every single team needs and wants, right? but it's the in-between stuff. It's the stuff actually I saw with Justin Jefferson, why I loved him so much last year, is yeah, Justin Jefferson was a little bit more slight than you'd like for a guy who plays inside the numbers a lot, but man, was he tough, and he took hits, and he made catches in traffic. Now, I don't know if Devonta Smith has that quite level of you know, toughness inside the numbers, but from a decision-making standpoint on his route running and finding the soft spot in the zone, he's pretty close to untouchable in that regard. And and yeah, he'll find his way to not get hit as much because he has shown to have that level of smart. He's also a hell of a blocker too. So he is physical and he can get down with it. It's just, you know, the size is going to play a factor for at least a little while when he gets to leave. It's going to be a little bit of a growing pain. I don't think that's going to hurt his numbers too much, but you know, a lot of things will come into play for him in terms of getting those numbers in the first place. But physicality, I don't think he's going to lack it. I just hope that he can uh, hold up. Yeah, for sure. Now, in regards, we were just talking about how Jamar Chase was, you know, the number one over Justin Jefferson. In regards to Devonta Smith's 
incredible season where his stats were just like laughable how good they were. Part of the reason for that was that he didn't have the other Batman. I don't even want to call him Robin. The other Batman on the other side of the ball or sometimes lined up next to him, who knows, in Jalen Waddell. He wasn't there the whole season. Now, Devonta Smith's stats probably don't go as high as they could have or they did if, if Waddle's playing that entire season. So let's talk about Waddle for a second. He is somebody who people are comparing to Tyreek Hill kind of more one-to-one. And, you know, I see here they have in the NFL draft guy on the ringer, they have T.Y. Hilton, who, you know, is getting older now, but was absolutely a game-breaker for a long time in his career. Where do you rate Waddle in this, in this whole thing here? Uh, it sounds like to me he's behind Smith for you, Ed. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, Waddle's third. Waddle's the third guy for me. Um, I think it's clear. I don't I, that could have changed if he played this season because I mean it did for Devontae Smith, but I just think Jalen Waddle he he doesn't have quite the same ceilings that Chase and Smith have, and definitely not Pitts, but He's going to be a good player. He's strong. He's quick. Hopefully, you know, that stuff sticks around. Hopefully, he doesn't have injury issues based off of what happened this last year. I just – I don't think he's that same superstar level receiver that you're going to probably get with Chase and Devontae Smith. So it's hard for me to put him above either of them. That doesn't really, I shouldn't, I'm, I'm kind of like, it sounds like I'm killing the guy here, but I do think he's really good. And I do think he's a clear cut third above everybody else. But I just don't, I think when you're looking at the one and two, it's very tight between Smith and Chase. And when you drop to third, I know a lot of people really like Waddle. A lot of people think he's going to go above Devontae Smith right now. I just don't see that happening. I mean, I, I shouldn't say I don't see that happening. I don't think that's the right move. And I just, you know, hey, Jen Wilde's going to be a great receiver, so or a really good receiver, so I, I shouldn't knock anyone. But he, he should go to the right situation because that's going to help him out a lot more because he's not the same talent that you have with Jamar Chase. And And that brings us to our next portion here, which is the semi mock draft area here where, you know, are we looking at specific mock drafts? Like, I don't know. I don't know how much weight you guys put into mock drafts. I really don't. I want to see people's big boards. I want to see who the guys I trust think are the best, not where they think they're going to go based off information, based off guests, based off gut, whatever it may be. Cause if you think about all that, you know, Mel Kuyper, is, is the most popular mock drafter and his picks aren't right. Like he doesn't get the mock draft, right? It's impossible. And no one's really expecting him to, they're expecting him to be interesting. Right? So I don't want to talk mock draft too, too much, but I do want to talk about the giants and what we're seeing is as far as reporting and some mock drafts and just overall vibe about what they're going to do. And, and Mike, I'm going to go to you first as the giants fan here. What guy are you targeting? Or what guy would make you most excited if the Giants grab him at 11? There are a bunch of reports that Smith is the guy they're targeting. And, and you know, Gettleman has been the type of GM who kind of, you know, does what he says he's going to do, which is a weird strategy. But 
hey, you know, he's actually made some decent draft picks, so we'll see. But, Mike, what's what's your thought about 11? Who's the guy that would make you most excited? And then maybe, you know, balance what you want them to do versus what you think they're going to do. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm excited um, going into this draft because I think there's a lot of talent that is going to be available for the Giants choosing. Uh, if you would have asked me, about, a, I guess, a month, month and a half ago, I would have said either Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith is who I want them to pick. Um, a lot of mock drafts, a lot of experts uh, have been saying Waddle or Smith. If I had to pick between those guys, I, I think I'm probably going to take Waddle, which sounds kind of crazy even when I think about it myself because I'm taking a guy who just missed the entire season last year over the guy that just had the best performance in the nation over the past season. Um, but I actually, after signing Kenny Galladay, love that move by the Giants, by the way. I mean, Galladay, we got Shepard, we got Slayton, we got Ingram still, healthy Saquon Barkley coming back, Danny Dimes has some targets to throw to. I love it. Um, I would really, really be through the roof if they landed Micah Parsons. Um, I know we're going to talk about him more um, on another episode, but I think he is an absolute stud. Uh, you mentioned linebacker university, Penn State. Um, and I think that him and Blake Martinez would complement each other extremely nicely, would make an already good giant, uh, Giants defense, a great defense, um, in a division where at least last year, I mean, I know Dallas wasn't healthy, but offense wasn't really the strong suit. I mean, Washington is known for their defense. Philly didn't really have a great year all around and we were known more for our defense as the Giants. So I definitely think that Parsons would help strengthen that defense. Bradbury had a great year last year in the secondary. Uh, Jabril Peppers has been playing well. Um, so I would love to see them take Parsons. Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to be around at the 11th pick. Um, Saquon Barkley draft, where they're high enough to be like, okay, we're going with this guy, and if it's not this guy, it's this guy. They kind of have to – I mean, of course they have a, a general idea of guys that they want to take in positions that need to be filled. But I really do think it's going gonna, it's gonna to matter who is taken off the board prior to and who, what teams plan on picking right after the Giants because that could come into play as well. You know, the entire draft board matters. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm really excited. Would absolutely love if they were able to snatch Parsons at the 11th pick. That'd be a steal. Parsons a freak. You know, he is a freak. And it's funny that you think he's going to go before the Giants. He's, I think he's mocked at the Giants or later in most of what I'm seeing, but he's one of those dudes who it almost doesn't matter where he's mocked. All of a sudden, you know, whether it be Dallas right before the Giants at 10 or the Panthers at 8 or whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter. He's the type of guy that if a team is like, yo, this guy's a dude, they can take him wherever. And if he goes 7 to the Lions, like, is anyone going to really bat an eye? Like, probably not. Like, because this guy might, he might be, um, Who's the, oh my God, how am I losing this guy's name? The Colts linebacker who has been a game breaker since he's been drafted. Darius Leonard. Darius, Darius, Leonard. Leonard. Darius Leonard. Exactly. Like Darius Leonard came in and was like a freak of nature with just leading the league in tackles as a rookie. And like Micah Parsons can do that. He can be one of those guys. So, Zoo, what are your thoughts on uh, Mike's thoughts slash your, your ideas for the Giants? I love, 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 love Michael Parsons to the Giants. I think that would be an incredible pick. 
And that's something that I've kind of been into for a while before the Giants got to where they're at, you know, pick-wise. And Parsons dropped a little bit to where he's possibly going to be, you know, drafted in double digits. But if he's not there or if he is there, if there's an offensive lineman on the board, I mean, in the specific one, if Rayshon, if Rayshon, if Rashawn Slater is still on the board when the Giants are picking, he's got to be the pick because he's someone who's going to come in. He can play nasty on the offensive line. Um, and I know Andrew Thomas wasn't very good last year. I mean, you, he's going to develop into something as a player because he is a good athlete. He's a good offensive lineman. But if you could bring in Slater, that just makes the line a little bit better, and it gives you another guy to develop with going forward on that offensive line for Daniel Jones and another big dude who's just going to, you know, be bodying people out there. So, I mean, that's where I would go if he's available when they're drafting. But, I mean, Micah Parsons 100% would be – would be my uh, my pick if he's not there. And as for a wide receiver, the Giants have a lot going on there. I mean, would it hurt them if they drafted a guy? No, but I mean, I just think you if you could get Michael Parsons in the building, and like you said, Mike, stick him next to you know Blake Martinez back there. That defense is going to be out of this world you know, at least in the front seven. And, I mean, we saw what they could do last year. Uh, you add him, a guy who could rush the passer a little bit better than, you know, they've had over the past couple of years out of that linebacker position. He's someone that can make a real difference to that team. And outside of Rashawn Slater, I don't see anybody that really would be worth it at that pick. And almost to the point where if – for some reason, one of those five quarterbacks, Trey Lance, I mean, not one of those five, but if one of Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or Mac Jones dropped and he was there when the Giants were picking, I would consider trading back if Michael Parsons or Rashawn Slater weren't there. I love that. Well, yeah, I actually, I was just going to say, um, I've been hearing recently um, that Gettleman was thinking about trading down which is something that he's never done in the first round before um, as his, in his tenure as the GM of the Giants. Um, so I was going to ask you guys what your thoughts are on that. I mean, would that be a good move? I mean, of course, it, it depends on who's available and all that stuff that we mentioned, but that, that could be interesting to see what they would get in return. I mean, I just wonder what their plan would be. So, I mean, yeah, what do you guys think? I'm just, I mean, oh, go ahead. I, I 100% agree, man. I Michael Parsons would be the great pick there, obviously. If he's gone and Slater's gone, I think there's no way. I don't think there's any. You could take a receiver again, but I don't think that's worth it. I think it's much more worth the while of the franchise to trade back and get what you can for that pick because there are going to be people who if Mac Jones is sitting there or if Trey Lance is sitting there and – certainly if Justin Fields is sitting there are going to be willing to trade up to, uh, to get their guy, because, you know, that's, that's where we are in the NFL. The QB drives the league. And if you're the giants, 
you, you got to take advantage of that. You got to get the picks. And I think you could still get the same quality of player, you know, outside of the receivers at a pick like 19 as you can at 11 in this draft. Absolutely. I think that brings you to like Rashad Bateman, who's the, the receiver after the big three that we talked about. He's probably on, on most boards, number four for the receivers or five if you're counting pits in that group. Uh, just to recap quickly, the Giants only really have one pick per round. So just to add to that arsenal of talent, if they are able to trade down, yeah, you go for it. The idea of trading down tends to be a lot better than reality because it's just hard to do it. And unless there's a player there that some other team is dying for, it gets that like that much harder to get the return you want. But I would love that. You know, you drop down to the 20s or something like that and you grab another great player or another solid player who can be a starter in this league and and you keep cooking with with the talent build up there. I I love it. I do believe though Gettleman has been linked to Devonta Smith. If he's on the board at 11, which I think there's a great chance he's going to be, I'd be hard-pressed to see Gettleman pass up on Smith. I really just think he's been Gettleman's been a straight shooter, man. He's been kind of telling us what he wanted to do and doing it. He just does, he does his thing. He kind of just does what he thinks needs to be done. I think he thinks Smith needs to be on this team, and if he's available, I think that's where they go. That's not what I think they should do, but that's what I think they're going to do. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree with you there, especially on the Gettleman part. You know, Gettleman, he is very meat and potatoes guy. He gets right to the point. So uh, I, I hope for the Giants' sake that they are – that he's not available because <laughs> if neither Slater nor uh, Parsons are there, they should definitely be trading down because I, in my opinion that one of those two guys is the right pick and the smart pick there. At 11. Yeah. It's a good stuff right there. All right. So I think we covered everything we want to cover in regards to the quarterbacks, the pass catchers, the jets and the giants. We'll have another draft episode next week just because it's it's right there. It's right in front of our eyes. The carrot is being dangled in front of us, and we almost have the dun, 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 and the pick is in. Here we go. It's time, baby. So it, it's it's almost that time. This was awesome. Ed, you were freaking awesome bringing the heat on all your college football knowledge and uh, bringing your takes to the stage here. Really appreciate you. We're not quite done yet. I just want to ask you real quick, is there just one player – who might be like semi-random, not, you know, super random, like a fourth round pick. I'm just saying somebody in the later first round, somebody in the second round that you look at and say, I think that guy's going to be a, a dude. No one's talking about him. Not many people know about him. Is there, is there just one guy not to put you on the spot? Um, but also ooh, to put you on the spot, <laughs> put me on the spot for one guy. I don't know. Just give me something. That's kind of the thing, man. I got a couple of dudes who, if you're looking at more of the second round, that I think are going to be pretty good. I, and I could give you a couple late or one late first rounder. You know what? I mean, Najee Harris is going to be a superstar, I think, as a late first rounder. Um, Zayvon Collins is a really good linebacker out of Tulsa. He's got good size. He could be he could be that next dude who comes from a non-power five conference as a backer and makes a humongous impact in the league. He's got that kind of potential. He's really quick. He hits like a truck. 
he's a he's a really good player. Um, Tyson Campbell out of Georgia, he's a corner. He's had some really bad plays this year where he looks really awful, but I think in the right system, he could be a really good corner in the NFL. And then really later on in the draft, uh, I mean, not really later on, but third round, fourth round kind of guys. I love Patrick Jones. He's a D end out of pit. He's a really good athlete. He's a really good defensive lineman. I think, I think he's a guy who can be a incredible disruptor at the NFL level. I don't know if he's the number one D end on a great team. I don't know if that's going to happen in his career, but he's a guy that if you have him, he's going to get his sacks and he's going to make an impact on the game. So he's another guy definitely to keep an eye on. And I love my D linemen and I love my West Virginia Mountaineers. So this is a late, late round pick, probably fourth, fifth, maybe sixth. But Darius Sills, athletic lineman, really, really quick off the ball. He's smart. He's strong. He's a heck of a leader. He's a really good dude from everything I've ever heard about him, from everything I've ever seen from him. Um, Partying with him. What? West Virginia guy, but (laughs) Darius Sills, D-tackle, he's going to be a dude that I could see definitely having a long NFL career being a fifth, sixth-round pick. That's awesome. Ed, you're great. And that actually brings me to segue to our last words here. Uh, When you were, you know, part of that Boomer and Geo morning show for a few weeks back in uh, the holiday season. Did they ask you about your time in West Virginia? I feel like I saw a clip of them peppering you with questions about being at West Virginia. Were they asking you if you play, if you partied with any players? What was that about? <laughs> yeah, no, they were, uh, we were talking a little bit about the, uh, the good old times in West Virginia's and the, um, <laughs> the fun that was had there for sure. Uh, yeah, but we got it. We got into some funny things, man. And definitely, definitely go check that out from, um, I believe that might've been Christmas Eve, that specific uh, moment you're talking about. But we, we got into a lot. We talked about the, uh, the Cougars and <laughs> the, the overall party that was uh, being in Morgantown and the good times and the good people that, that we met along the way. But definitely I uh, got into the, uh, the cougar game a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love to hear it. Uh, last question for you about working at the fan. Obviously you and I met at WFAN, one of my favorite people at the fan. You're like a bit of a legacy there because of your uncle, right? So like people kind of knew you off the jump or at least knew a little bit who you were, but you're knew the my name. Knew my name. Yeah. So like it, maybe it helped you a little bit, but from my opinion, from my you know perspective of being in the fan as well, you just being an awesome dude really helped you there as well. Like you're such a great guy. You're a fun time. You take the job serious. You mess up and you say, Hey, ain't going to do it again. And that's kind of what happened to you on the show, right? You had a little mistake early. They were throwing you some shade. You handled it with so much grace and they ended up like loving you, not just uh, the host and stuff, but fans as well. We're, we're all over the zoo, the zoo train. They were loving at zoo beard 77. So my one question to you, cause I think people who listen to the show, are New York people and they probably listen to Boomer and Geo a little bit. They probably listen to, to the fan a good bit. So I, I want to ask you about one thing you learned maybe about Boomer or Geo or maybe about somebody to do with the show uh, that you didn't know until you worked 
with them. Maybe something about how they work, what they do, uh, any, any sort of story or tidbit that you can share with us that can give some insight to a show that everybody in New York loves. Oh man, dude. I just, if I, just being completely honest, I uh, I knew a lot went into the show, but I'd never realized just how much went into everything that is Boomer and Geo. Uh, so that first that first day, it was kind of a very just the whole situation of how everything happened. It was very you know thrown together last second, um, and it was a little bit frazzling, especially when I realized how much needed to be done. I was like, wow, okay, this is crazy. So, I mean, I, I've always had the utmost respect for, you know, those guys over there, you know, obviously Boomer and G. And I just learned so much about what Eddie Scazzari does on the day-to-day. Mm. And, I mean, he he really is a, he's a diamond man, him. Al, Jerry, Boomer, G, man, that show as a whole, bro, it's it's unbelievable. But I, I was very, very just like wowed at how much goes into the the production and the pre-production of that show, and it's it's it was kind of fun. It was really fun once I got into the groove and I got to uh, got to really feel everything out. It was it was awesome, man, and working with those guys was incredible. Just being around. Uh, nice genuine people who care about what they do and want to have a really good product it makes you want to be the absolute best that you can be in order to help achieve that goal you know it it was the closest i felt to it to being on a team mm. trying to like win a championship in a, in a little while but it was definitely it was great man and i i can't say enough great things about working not only with boomer and geo but being at the fan for, you know, the last three plus years, it's been a heck of a journey and I'm still going. So uh, I hope that doesn't sound like it's over, <laughs> it's over here, but, um, yeah, no, definitely. And I'm so proud. I'm so thankful for my, uh, you know, ability to get in there and everybody's receptiveness of, you know, me coming in and, uh, putting in my work. And that's always something that I felt is really important. You got, got to put in your work and, even when nobody's watching, do what you got to do because somebody's probably watching. And, mm. you know, especially over there, somebody's probably always listening and they are. So yeah, you, you got never... to make, sure, make sure your work is top notch because might be somebody's first time listening and you don't want to turn them off. You don't want them to turn on and go, oh, why does this sound? Why is the production here not very good? Like this just sounds off and turn off immediately. You don't want to be that reason. You want to keep them coming back. So working in that working in the industry in general working at the fan working obviously at the fan with the legacy it has you don't want to let that down and it's it's always an honor and it always will be an honor to say that this is you know the fan is a home and that's something that i take pride in for sure and i i definitely think that you probably do as well you know being that uh you're a fan man at heart yeah man (laughs) I haven't been there. You know what's funny? The last shift I worked at the fan was the night Gobert and Donovan Mitchell got tested positive for COVID over a year ago. Wow. Yeah, I was there. Chris Moore, I will, I swear, Chris Moore, if you guys don't know who he is because you don't listen maybe on the weekends or you never caught him, he's not a, a Monday through Friday 
every single day of the week host for the fan. He's like, you know, some nights during the week, a lot of weekends. He is a freaking pro. I don't know how many people at the station could have done as good a job as he did that night when we didn't even know to wear a mask yet. You know what I mean? Like this was so early in the COVID thing. We had no idea what the hell was going on. And this guy handled that whole show live with so much grace. It was incredible. And I was behind the glass like, wow, I'm watching a pro just crush this when he has no idea, just like none of us knew what the hell was going on with COVID. And he, he crushed it. It was insane. Uh, great answer by you. I'll add this one tidbit. I think just, you know, people who are still listening to this podcast an hour and what hour and 25 minutes, in, oh, an hour and 40, an hour and 40 minutes in, whatever. Um, people who are still listening to this probably care enough to hear the last story. Uh, there, there's a, a bunch of different types of shows on the radio, whether you're talking WFAN, you're talking ESPN radio, or you're talking a national show like the herd or even like Dan Lebitard show is a great example. There are shows who have a much, a much looser feel to it. Right. And you would be so surprised how some of those looser feels to a show have the most work put into it and the most plans put into it. They actually work harder to make the, nonchalant off the cuff vibe even better. And that's what you would think. Like if you, if you listen to Boomer and Geo and you're not somebody like, you know, like the three of us who care about this stuff and like listen to ins and outs of, of a show, you're like, Oh, they're just guys having some conversations, shooting the shit, like having a good time. It's like, yeah, they are doing all that because their preparation allows them to. Uh, so that's a great piece of insight for from you. I don't know if people who listen as a casual fan, even want to know about that, but working all the different shows I worked in at the fan, you know, you'll never know Steve Summers, for example, he's a guy who, if you're listening to him, you're like, Oh, he's cracking jokes with the callers and he's saying some, some silly stuff and, you know, funny stuff or whatever he's doing. That guy is prepared. He's as prepared as anybody. You know what I mean? Like if you just listen to Steve, you may not ever think that in a million years, but if you watch him work, it's like things are seamless for a reason because he takes it serious and he's been doing it for such a long time. Uh, so it's this interesting piece of information in regards to the radio industry. Yeah, I guess that's that's really it. But good stuff by you, um, Mike Bonfield. Any last words? I know the Knicks just won by 10 in overtime against the Hawks. Huge those, win. Those are my last words. Those were my last words. Uh, shout out to New York Knicks. Eight in a row now. Julius Randle, another 40-point game. Uh, we got sole possession of fourth place in the East. So we officially passed Atlanta tonight. Sole possession of fourth place in the East. Exciting times for New York basketball. I am hyped. That's crazy. Ed, you want to say anything about the Knicks before we say goodbye? Woo-wee, man. We all <laughs> going, baby. I, I, you know what? Regardless of where we finish, man, I cannot wait to watch playoff basketball at the Garden come the middle of May. It's going to be a beautiful thing, my man. I cannot wait. And Thank you for having me on, bro. Anytime from here on out, man, just let me know. It's It's been way too long. It's been way too long. We got to do this way more often. It has been. And who knows, bro? Maybe I'll call you up next week when we come back to talk draft again. You know, I might need, might need some zoo beard action again. You know what I'm saying? We'll see, brother. I, we'll see. Maybe I'll be here. Maybe I won't. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> keep yeah. yeah, keep him guessing, bro. You don't know. We don't know what's going down next week. All right, yo. This has been Subway Sports Talk. Absolutely awesome episode. Shout out to my boy Ed Arzum and again at Zubeard77. He's dope. Check him out if you have never heard his work before. Just follow him on Twitter and, and the rest will do it. You know, the rest will happen for you. Also, Mike Bonfield. My name is Pete Kennedy. 
This has been Subway Sports Talk, y'all. We'll be back next week talking hoops with some special guests as well as NFL Draft. Quick, quick, quick. The Mets got smoked tonight. The Yankees. I think the Yankees win, Mike. I will tell you right now. Oh, live radio live production. We're not prepared. Lost, I'm no Steve Summers. Lost 4-1. Lost 4-1. 6-11 now. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, well. We're not talking about the Yankees right now. We're not getting depressed. Let's go, Knicks. The Knicks are awesome. Subway Sports Talk. Cheers, y'all.